This is Allie Henney, and you're listening to Combing the Roots, powered by The Witness, a Black Christian Collective. In this episode, I discuss how we can continue the racial reckoning. Stay tuned. Hey, it is so good to be back for another episode of Combing the Roots. I always enjoy having this time to be able to talk with you all, for us to be able to have this conversation and to continue this conversation. And so I don't take your engagement with this platform lightly at all. I hear so much wonderful feedback about this show, and I hope that you all will continue to send me your wonderful feedback. So today we are continuing our conversation about the racial reckoning that's been happening in our culture. So this is part two of this episode. I don't really feel like these parts are necessarily independent of inter or rather interdependent on one another. This is actually my third episode on the racial reckoning. Um, so if you've been listening, if you're listening to this podcast and you have just, you're like binging it or something like that, you'll probably notice that I've been talking about this um, for, this will be the third episode with kind of a very similar title. So just a little bit of context for this is that this summer, later in the summer, I recorded an episode on the racial reckoning. And then I had planned to have several more episodes before before the end of the year, but then life in the pandemic happened. And so I wasn't able to get to some of the episodes that I wanted to do, but I wanted to revisit this topic of the racial reckoning again, just because of its of its timing um, with the with the election and with the impending inauguration of Joe Biden, I felt like it would be good to revisit this topic and to revisit it kind of right in this this downtime that we have. So we've just come down from the election. And of course, there's been all sorts of lawsuits and all sorts of just all sorts of just nonsense surrounding the election. Donald Trump at this point still will not admit that he's lost. He still won't concede. If you're listening to this sometime way after 2020 and you happen to find this podcast and are listening to this, just know that there was a whole lot of drama in the LBC over Donald Trump deciding whether or not he was going to concede or whether or not he lost the election and whatever. And that's just kind of how it is. And so for, but for those of us who are in the, the reality that of, of people who don't believe conspiracy theories and aren't in on all this Republican nonsense that's happening, Donald Trump lost, Joe Biden won, we're ready to move on. And so as we're moving on, I think that we need to think about how do we affect change? And the reason why I think that we have to think about how we affect change, because uh, the reason why I think that we have to, to think about this is because it can be very easy for us to think that Joe Biden somehow po- is just like, he's, he's a panacea. He's like, you know, this, this, um, like he's some sort of cure-all that is going to mean that everything is going to be a-okay and hunky-dory and we don't have to worry about anything because a democrat is in office now i'm sure that a lot of you all out there don't think that way but just in case you do let me go ahead and get real with you and say that that is not what's going to happen just because a democrat is the president now just because joe biden is the president doesn't mean that we still don't have work to do so in the next segment I'm going to talk about that a little bit more. Stay tuned. Mm-hmm.
segment I talked about how there was some drama surrounding this past election and how as we move forward it can be easy for a lot of people to think that we don't have more work to do but in fact we do have work to do and so in this segment I want to talk a little bit more about the work that we have yet to do. So I could be wrong about this, I admit it, but I really feel like that there is a false sense of victory that exists among a lot of us who were happy that Donald Trump got voted out of office. Now, what I mean by that is I'm not saying that a false sense of victory and that Joe Biden didn't actually win the election. What I mean is a false sense of victory in thinking that Joe Biden winning the election was a victory. I think that it was a victory in the sense that it was better than the alternative, but I don't know if Joe Biden winning was a win for America. Whenever I look back at, first of all, the fact that we have a two-party system, like looking at that, number one, like we, we look back and say, well, at the beginning of this election season, when we saw the vast failure of the two-party system in 2016 that we were just like hey we're still gonna go with this we're gonna we're, we're gonna go with that we're gonna we're not gonna push for a third party we're not gonna push for election reform and to do something completely different so first of all there's that but then we look back at the democratic field for president and it was a diverse field it had it had women it had a a gay man it had people of various ethnicities it had a lot of of diversity it was a lot more diverse than what we've seen probably at, at any point ever in election history in the United States. So yet we have this, but then like the top contenders end up being two old white men. What I mean by old, whenever I talk about old people in this res- in this respect, in this sense, saying that these were old white men, is that there are people that represent a generation that has been in power for a long time and we could even argue does not want to relinquish power and cede power to younger people and that is a problem. I don't have time to unpack all of that but getting back to this idea of this false sense of victory, I think that it's a false sense of victory because the the status quo won and the status quo is still racism. And so where we experienced in the past four years, it was like, it it was like this, this almost extreme version of of what white supremacy in government can look like because it was so because it was white supremacy unhooded parading through the streets with tiki torches we have that and that's something that the leader of our government gives a thumbs up to and says oh this is this is the all these people these these are fine people that is a problem. And so we have that as what was sanctioned by the government, what was sanctioned by people in the upper echelons of of our ruling society. 
And so then now we have just the regular version of racism back. And I think that that's something that, that we need to get is that we didn't somehow win something. It's we hit the factory reset button and we got the, de- the default settings for racism back. And so the default settings for racism is still racism. It's saying like, they're, like we're going to still be racist and white supremacists. But instead of it being unhooded and unmasked and uncloaked in the streets, we're going to go back to the more covert forms of racism. We have the potential to be celebrating something that really is nothing but the recalibration of the status quo. Now, as I say that, I do want to acknowledge that Kamala Harris being in office, that that is a victory for people of color. That's a victory for for women. That's a victory for HBCU grads. That's that's a victory for children of immigrants. That is a victory for a lot of people. And we can hold intention that Kamala represents some things that are important while also still critiquing some of the things that she personally has stood for and for the impact of those things. And the same goes for Joe Biden. Biden, that we that we must critique Joe Biden, we must critique his record, we must push him to renounce stances that he's taken and to undo some of the harm that he has done, particularly with the Biden crime bill. So he didn't just vote for something, he came up with it, his name was on it. And something that was a contributing factor to mass incarceration, that is a problem. At the same time, I think that we can get to a point where we like, you know, rain on every single parade and we can get to a sense of this almost kind of purist stance and thinking that we can only cheer on somebody whose stances are ideologically pure. And I think that, that, that that's a losing game because what what is ideologically pure for you, somebody is going to come and find, and find something wrong with again there's a tension that we must hold we can acknowledge what they represent we can acknowledge the importance of getting donald trump out of office and we can say we can acknowledge all that but we can also say yeah there are some aspects to these people who to these leaders that are problematic and we have work to do on this and the truth is like i said there is work to do still we reached the factory default of racism. We have we have reset to a default and the nation defaults to white supremacy. That has been the track record of this nation for the past almost like 400 years, of course, for that for we've only been a nation for for a little bit more than half of that time. Um but the but the default of this nation has been white supremacy and so we have in essence said well we're gonna push back against the more extreme version of that but I say push back against the more extreme version of that but you still had 70 million odd people who voted for Donald Trump you still have people that it's not a majority of the nation but it's not like I, I think back and I'm like, there should not have been anybody. He should not have gotten any votes. If if America, if, if all these people who who say that they're not racist and, and don't want to vote for a racist president, if all those people would have not voted for the person who is overtly racist and who brought over racism, who brought racism from the covert into the overt in the last four years, um, he Donald Trump would have had a very small amount of votes but the fact that he that 
he drove voter turnout in such a way this wasn't this wasn't this election wasn't a rev, a referendum on trumpism if anything it confirmed trumpism and so that's a problem the fact that that man got any kind of votes is a problem and so that now we have a person who is going to be in office who is in office might be in office by the time you listen to this because it doesn't mean that that somehow racism is is done we still we still have work to do and I think that the work that we have to do it happens on two tracks um something that I that I think that a lot of us would recognize that there's still work to do but I think that there is a little bit of disagreement about what that work actually is and what that work looks like there are people out there who think that we can reform the system that we have it's like you know hey we'll go to McDonald's no we got McDonald's at home like, like we got we got food at home like that's that's how a lot of people want to approach reforming our nation we got food at home we already got this constitution we already got this thing so all we have to do is reform and to make it better there's other people out there they're like no we can't reform and make it better we've got to just dismantle the whole thing we've got to tear the whole thing down there's nothing there's nothing good about it and we've got to tear the whole thing down and start all over again um i i would say like i would call the one reform i would call the other reimagining um i think that we have to do both i think that where we get into a, i've seen some of these conversations go and for me where my head starts to swim and maybe it's because i just don't have enough knowledge on on either end to to argue for either end and whenever I argue say well arguing for the middle I don't mean moderation I don't mean um to be a moderate or a centrist and just to be like oh well you know I don't know what we should do I honestly think that that arguing for the middle in this case is saying we have to do both I think that we have to reform what we have while we reimagine something else so I think that the problem with the people who are in the reform who are strictly like we just got to reform what we have and those who are strictly we've got to tear we got to burn everything down we got to tear everything everything down i i think that there's that there are problems that exist with each of those perspectives i think that in that reform it sells incremental change that to say there, there are people that are that are dealing with a lot right now that are dealing with with so many difficult things in their lives and it's directly tied to it's directly tied to their oppression it's directly tied to how our government handles and mishandles certain things so, so there's a lot of people who are like we just have got to we've just got to shut it down we've got to burn it down we've got to we've got to get rid of the student loan debt we've got to have health care for all people we've got like we just like we just have to do this and I agree with that 100% but I think that whenever we start to talk about dismantling where we start to talk about taking things apart um if we're if we're we could take things apart and not have anything to rely on and to not have anything to we could take things apart and potentially create a shock to the system that then ends up harming more people so my stance and, and I'm not articulating it perfectly but I feel like that we that I am I think that if I had to choose like if I if I had if you put me up on the line and said what do you need to choose like I'm absolutely going to choose dismantling over reforming anything that we that we have I think that that what we have is built on white supremacy its roots are in white supremacy why are we going to try to fix something that is built on white supremacy like that's that is white supremacy isn't a bug it's a feature so why on earth would we spend our energy and time and resources 
fully vested in trying to reform something that wasn't built for our flourishing but I also recognize and for me this is this is and maybe maybe I'm just you know talking out the wazoo here and it doesn't and, and what I'm saying doesn't make any sense maybe somebody who knows more than me would be like well you know Allie that's not exactly it but I just look and say that for me, I think of it in terms of harm reduction, that I that we can, you know, have all of the we can have all the protests, we can have all the all the riots, all the whatever that we're that we're going to have. But at the end of the day, the, the system that we have is the system that we have. And so there are things that if those things don't keep going, it could cause more harm to certain people. And so I'm not saying that we just keep the things going the way that they're going. We just keep that going for forever. But what I'm saying is we've got to, we've got to kind of work on it. It's almost like working on building a bridge from both sides. And so both sides have to be building toward something. And I guess actually the bridge analogy doesn't really work, but, but I'm going to keep on, I'm going to keep on with it that we have to keep building towards something and that, and that something is, is liberation, that, that something is freedom for all people. And so as we're building for that, as we're building toward that, um, we have to, we have to run these two tracks at the, at the same time. And so the reform aspect of things is let's, reform the system to harm as few people as we possibly can while we start to reimagine and start to build something and, and start to build something different and I know that's so incomplete that is so that's so unsatisfying even um because it's all it's all kind of philosophical and kind of heady stuff like what do you what do you mean building at the same time and you know what that is beyond the scope of what I can even say here but I think that it is important what the main takeaway that I want us to have is that there is still work to do so as I say that there's still work to do, I want to acknowledge the tension that exists in that work because I think that we don't that that we as a people do not always agree on what that work looks like and there are some of us who want to main who, who want to work for reform and we end up working to maintain the status quo meanwhile there are some of us who are working toward dismantling but we're working in an area where there's not where there's not a whole lot of infrastructure where there's not a whole lot of means and and ways to to do things right now and so it's almost working in a territory that I won't say is entirely philosophical but it is hard to get those things to become pragmatic because of some of the issues with it with the system and so I just see where we're, 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 we're spinning our wheels in some ways. And so if, if this, this is a conversation that I see that I see happening in so many different spaces. And this is, and a lot of this conversation, it, it even, you know, we could talk about this in terms of integration versus separatism. We can see that we could talk about this in terms of, in terms of nationalism versus, versus integration. We can talk about this in a lot of, in a lot of different realms. This has been, this has been an issue that has plagued black Americans for a long time is how much, do we fight for and work for a system that doesn't work for us and how much do we try to work outside of that outside of that system to affect change and sometimes I think that we end up working at cross purposes with one another because we don't recognize the strengths in 
in both positions and recognize that the ultimate goal is liberation and like i said if i had to choose um if i if you made me choose a side i'm be like fam we gotta we gotta dismantle this thing we gotta disrupt this thing we've gotta tear this thing down but i also get concerned because i see that because because from where i sit i'm like if we do that if we if we dismantle if we tear if we tear things down if it, if it ends up where where stuff is unstable what happens to the most vulnerable among us and so how do we keep the most vulnerable among us safe and so that's why i think that we have to do both at the same time so in the next segment i want to talk a little bit more about pragmatically about what some of that looks like <music> segment I discussed what I see as some competing values among those of us who want to see liberation for the most oppressed people in society. In this segment I want to talk a little bit more pragmatically about what change means or what change looks like. First of all, I believe that every person should be guaranteed a quality of life as a non-negotiable. Every person should have access to food, to water, to clothing, to shelter, their medical needs met, their intellectual needs met, their disability needs met, their community needs met. All of those things should exist for every single person. It shouldn't be a question. There shouldn't be people among us who don't have clothes. There shouldn't be people among us who don't have access to food, who don't have access to clean water, who don't have access to shelter, who don't live in places where people love them, people who can't get the basic level of education those things to me are non-negotiables. Whenever I say guaranteeing a quality of life, I don't mean that we give everybody like a millionaire, billionaire, quadrillionaire, trillionaire, whatever lifestyle. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that every person is entitled to basic dignity. There should be no reason on earth that any person should have to live in some of the conditions that some of the most poor and most marginalized in our society live in. There should be, there's no reason. People who have disabilities, people who have intellectual disabilities, people who have physical or mental disabilities, people who have mental health issues, all of those people should have access to a quality of life and should be treated with dignity and respect. And it to me, like I said, it is a non-negotiable. And something that I really feel like needs to change is I think that American society, that whiteness in particular, gets so hung up on the idea of giving people a handout and saying, well, if you just keep giving people stuff, then they're never going to do this and they're never going to amount to anything and whatever. And it just, there's just no, in my opinion, there's just no excuse for some of the conditions that exist that, that there's just no, there's just no excuse why people should be living under overpasses in squalor in there's just there's no reason for that now I will say that there might be people in society that for various reasons may choose to live alternatively within that society there might be people who might choose to live outdoors there might be people who choose to to participate in alternative economies there might be people who choose to participate in commute and live within communities that don't follow 
traditional community norms. And that's something that we have to acknowledge. There are people that for various reasons are going to choose to live on the fringes of society or who are going to choose to even live outside of society. There are some people that may not be helpful, that may, that may not be, whenever I say helpful, that they might do things that cause harm in society. And so we need to find ways to either rehabilitate or to remove them from society and to, and to put them into places where they can, where they can still be treated with dignity and respect, but they don't cause harm to other people. Those are all, those are all finer, grainier, uh, more grainier, oh my goodness, more granular details that we can get into. But I think that the, that whenever we get into some of those granular details, that we miss the overall point, we can sit and argue the smaller points. But I think that it misses the overall point as we're as we're arguing about the smaller things, it misses the overall point that every person is entitled to dignity, every person is entitled to health, every person is entitled to a quality of life. And like I said, there's going to be times whenever that mark isn't going to be hit for every single person for various reasons. But we should just say that, you know, the, that the, for the basic, the basic level, the basic de- default setting should be toward justice in this respect. And so I think that what this requires, whenever I say, talk about reforming, I think that it requires us to reform some of the systems that we currently have. But I also think that it requires us to reimagine. So whenever we talk about reassuring a quality of life for people, I think that in terms of reform, we need to reform healthcare. We need to reform welfare. And whenever I say reform welfare, I don't mean taking it away from people. I mean, actually expanding it. We need to reform housing. We need to reform a lot of different things, a lot of different, a lot of the different systems that surround some of our basic needs. We need to reform those things to be more inclusive of people, to be more inclusive of different states, of different abilities to be able to pay, of different um, of, of different sets of resources. I think that we need to reform the system to be able to account for those things and to be able to make sure that there's a basic quality of life that is that is attained for every single person. With that said, I think that it also requires us not to just reform the system, not to just say, okay, well, we're just going to kind of change the same system that was built for white privileged people, men specifically, who owned property and who had all these economic advantages, that's that the landed gentry, if you will, that we just reform a system that was built to support those people and to make sure those people always were on top and always flourished. We have to also reimagine. We have to also say, what would it look like for there to be universal free education that is top quality that is that that no matter where you live you can be assured that you can get the best quality of education that you can get so that you can succeed and flourish what would it look like to imagine teaching people how to live their life, how to do things like become electricians and to become plumbers and to know how to budget, to know how to write a budget, to know how to pay their taxes, all of those things that some of us didn't learn in school. What would it look like to teach everybody those things? And then people who show promise in other areas, whose abilities lie elsewhere, those people can go to college. Those people can go and they can get doctorates and master's degrees and they can do that without coming out with 
with crippling debt. So whether that is you are studying antiquities or philosophy or music or whether you're learning to become a brain surgeon, every person is able to come through getting their education and not having their education being a burden because you know what it's important that people study antiquities it's important that people study philosophy that's a lot of why our society is the way that it is right now is because people are focusing on getting that dollar and they don't have context for anything else they don't have they, they they're trying to get dollars and they don't got no sense and so we we need to make that a thing we and so as we reimagine we need to reimagine what would it look like for everybody to have some place to live what would it look like for everybody to have food and i don't just mean like food i don't mean just like you know the lowest quality like potato chips yeah we got everybody potato chips oh that's great i'm not saying that everybody gets potato chips i'm saying like what would it look like for everybody to eat and to eat quality food, to eat food that is that is good, that is nutritious, that is healthy, and to not have to jump through a bunch of hoops to be able to get it. What would that what would that look like for everybody to have access to healthcare? Yes, we can we can certainly expand Medicare and Medicaid. We can certainly talk about reforming those systems. We could talk about reforming Social Security. We could talk about all of those things. We like I think that that that's that those are the means that we have right now. But what would it look like to imagine completely different systems where every person is accounted for and every person we can assure from from the womb to the tomb we can assure a basic quality of life and within that we can still have innovation there still might be people that might rise to the top and they might they might make more money I don't know if we exploit people's labor I think that we also have to reimagine labor and I don't think that exploiting people's labor and making them and essentially enslaving them to the amount of money that they can make per hour that that's the right way to go but what if we reimagine something completely different what if we reimagine a system where yeah though there are going to be people who might own things or there are going to be people who might be in charge of things there are going to be people who have innovation and creativity and come up with brand new things i think that we can foster all of those things but just what does society look like what does society look like whenever we start to guarantee that every child can eat what does society start what in society starts to change when we can make sure that every person has a home that every person has a home that they can feel proud of and whether that look as for some people that might look different for some people maybe their home is under the overpass so maybe they can have the best home under the overpass that they can that that that, that they that they can have and so they 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 are living under the overpass but they're not hungry and they're not cold i don't know I maybe it sounds like I'm talking out of my head, but what I do know is that the way that things currently are, it's only benefiting a few people. And the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. And I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay with a society in which people have to beg for money. And I'm not okay with a society in which GoFundMe pays people's medical bills. I'm not okay with a society with a society where not everyone has access to quality education because of their zip code. 
I'm not okay with a society that discriminates against people because of their race, because of their sexual orientation, because of their immigration status, because of all the various things that a lot of people are being discriminated against. I am not okay with that. And so we have to change. We have to change our society. We have to change the way that America works. We have to, to come to the reckoning, come to the realization that our society was built on injustice. It was built on marginalizing the bodies of African people, of indigenous people. It, that, that's what our society was built on. It was built on marginalizing the bodies of Asian people. It was built on marginalizing the bodies of people who who became various mixtures of the different groups of of the ruling societal powers and of those who they marginalized. We have to recognize that we can do better that that we can we can say that some of the promise quote unquote of America, some of the idea of America, the American idea. We, that, 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 that there's aspects of that that's a good thing. But whenever we start talking about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and we only mean that to mean white men, we got a problem. And so this nation has to come to a point of recognition that this racial reckoning, racial reckoning really is the beginning of it. But we have to come to the point where we recognize and we reckon with the fact that our nation was built on such atrocious ideas, on such atrocious behavior, even though philosophically some of the things sound good, like I said, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, all that stuff sounds really, really great until you get down to the bottom of it and you realize that they only meant it for certain people. It was an asterisk. There, there's an asterisk there. Um, it doesn't. There's not actually an asterisk on the Declaration of Independence, but there might as well have been. But whenever we start to delve into what this nation is, Whenever we start to delve not just into history, but into the current way that things are, we recognize that white supremacy is at the root. There's white supremacy that, that as I'm recording this right now, there are people in Washington, D.C. who are marching, who have torn down Black Lives Matter sign and, and burnt them, burnt Black Lives Matter flags, I think, uh, on historic black churches and have burnt them. There are there's just all sorts of chaos and stuff that's that's going on as I'm recording. Even as I'm recording this episode, there are all sorts of things that run counter to those values and that that we that we say that we espouse as America but as Americans but we don't really espouse those values and so we have to reckon with that and whenever I say we we as black people we don't necessarily need to be like oh well you know we've got to atone for white supremacy we don't have to do that but if I say that we have to reckon with that we have to reckon with a whole bunch of implications of white supremacy within our own culture but I think that we have to bring in the reckoning and I don't mean that in a way that is like oh we gotta we gotta be violent we gotta do all this other type of stuff that's not what that's not what I'm saying we don't have to we don't have to cause harm to people we don't have to do what was done to us um I think that that like 
like at the end of the day, like, you know, I just don't think that it, that it's ever good to, it's never a good look to adopt the modes and the means of the oppressor. But I do think that we have to bring this reckoning that we have to keep speaking out because more and more people are, are being, are being harmed because it's a constellation of harms, if you will, because of this, because I believe that white supremacy is at the root of it. And whenever you have a bad root, you're going to have bad fruit. Well, there's a lot more that I could say on this topic, but I've been talking for a very long time. And thank you for listening. If you were able to keep up with that rant, I thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. This has been Combing the Roots. Special thanks to producer Joshua Heath and executive producers Tyler Burns and Bo York. Catch up with what I'm doing on these internet streets by visiting AllieHenny.com. There you'll be able to connect to my Twitter feed, my Instagram, and my Facebook writers page. Combing the Roots is powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I'm your host, Allie Henny. Peace.